So as we start this new series called Two Words, the impetus behind it was, I was as I have been thinking through my prayer life and my devotional life, there were two uh, approaches, two strategies that I felt like were really helpful to me and I wanted to share them with you. The first one has to do with our prayer life. And most of us uh, are praying from in some form or fashion, whether you're a, a regular churchgoer or not, it seems like just about everybody is gonna be praying at one time or another. And some of us probably feel like we could or should do better at our prayers. And this is a strategy that is going to help you to feel like you are confident and that you can know exactly how to pray in any situation. And the situation that we find ourselves in right now definitely prompts us to pray sometimes. And the situation we find ourselves in right now sometimes can kind of wear on us and there's just this weariness and people are going and processing and struggling through. There's the slog that we talked about last week and the opposite of that, when you can pray, when you can unload your burdens on the Lord, when you can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, then you will experience the theme of what we're actually talking about today, which is joy. I don't know if it's been your experience that everywhere you go, people are just happy and at ease and feeling peaceful and joyful. Maybe you haven't been in that circle. Maybe you've had a different kind of experience when you go to the grocery store or the hardware store or as you're driving on the roads lately. Not everybody is experiencing a sense of peace and joy. But the passage that we're looking at today, that's the theme. And our prayers can help to get us to the point where we are feeling peace and joy. So let's look at it together. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. In this letter that is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, we find that the church has been experiencing some difficulty, and the Apostle Paul is talking about some of the difficulty and struggles that he has been feeling. And here, as he gets towards the conclusion and begins to wrap up this letter, he talks about some strategies for maintaining our joy in difficult situations. So let's read it together. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And again, this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now, I appeal to Euodia and to Sanctity. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. When I decided to do this series and talk about our prayers and the simple formula for remembering what to pray and when you pray, I immediately thought of this passage because it talks about the two parts of this prayer. And what we're going to see is that the bottom line is to tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's why the title of today's message is Help and Thanks. Two words that you can remember that will remind you just a basic outline for prayer that you can use at any time. Help and thanks. And so we will pray, and that will be the challenge, that as things come up during the week, that you'll pray, help and thanks. Help and thanks. When I began to look at this passage, because it had that verse that I wanted and that I remembered and that I used as the basis for that two-word outline for my prayers, I began to read the context and it was so rich and so good, I just had to include the entirety of this section because I think it was so applicable and so helpful for us in this phase that we are in right now. It starts out by saying, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I, uh, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. This is the pastor heart of the Apostle Paul writing to this church, saying that they are his beloved brothers and sisters whom he loves and whom he longs for. He longs to be with them. He's been separated from them by no choice of his own, and yet he wants to be reunited with them. Maybe we can relate a little bit to that. I know I certainly can. And he says that the, the people of the church are his joy and crown. He rejoices in them, and the crown that he's talking about is the victor's crown. When you run the race and you win, you would get a crown a victor's crown. And in the same way he's saying, when I run the race, the race that I'm in is serving you and serving the church, and you, the people of the church, are my joy and my crown. And what does he want them to do? He wants them to stand firm in the Lord. So everything that we're about to read in this section are the ways that he's describing, this is how you stand firm in the Lord. In this way, stand for, firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So he's going to tell us what it looks like when we stand firm in the Lord. And he begins by addressing some conflict that is in the church. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with sanctity to be of the same mind in the Lord. In, of the same mind, that there's no division, that they're thinking about things the same way, they're approaching things the same way. There should not be any division in the church. And he gives us a hint as to how this happens with this last phrase, in the Lord. 
You see, because when we as believers are seeking the Lord, filling our mind with the scriptures, looking and pleading for the Lord to give us his perspective on everything that we're thinking about, everything that we're facing, then we are unified in the Lord because the better that we perceive and fill our minds with his thoughts, then we're just going to be naturally moving in the same direction. So that's kind of the, the, the hint as to how this happens. You follow hard and fast after the Lord, and then you look around and you see other people who are going hard and fast in the same direction, and you're going to have unity with those people because you are unified in the Lord. So the, his first warning is to beware of division. A couple of months ago, we were talking about the political situation and how uh, there's going to be a winner in November based on how the people vote. But the, whether the church wins or loses between then and November and between now and November is going to be based on how we conduct ourselves. So right now, other divisions have popped up and it's really important for us to seek first the Lord and then to beware of division. And he says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, which is a translation, it might be somebody's name, he might be calling out somebody by name, a name that's similar to the meaning for true companion, but regardless, he's got a co-worker there within the church, and he says, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He's saying, people in the church, you got to come alongside them and help them to work this out, to resolve these conflicts, to be a peacemaker. And that's one of the things that we need in, in our churches and in our congregation and in our communities. We need people who will be peacemakers, not people who will stir up division, but people who will bring people together to uh, be peacemakers in the midst of that. And again, I think he gives a hint as to how this happens. These women, we as a church, we are contending together side by side in the cause of the gospel. When we make the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ our primary concern and put that as our mission, the critical mission, then a lot of these smaller divisions tend to fall away because we have a focus on the bigger picture and the more important mission that we all share. And then he returns to a theme that is throughout this, this book, this letter, rejoice in the Lord, beginning at verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, always. I will say it again, rejoice. I love the definition of joy that I ran across as joy was a theme in my life a couple of months ago. I just realized that, that joy needed to be my focus for a while. And the definition that I heard was it's just this, this uh, undeniable, unshakable sense that all will be well. I think of another theme throughout this passage, the word peace that comes up over and over again. That sense of shalom, that all is well, relationships are in good shape, everything is at peace and therefore we have confidence that all will be well. We have joy.
rejoice in the Lord, and I will say it again, rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Another translation says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. You see, we as believers are to be considerate. Think about that. Consider. Consider what others want. Consider their preferences. The whole idea of being a follower of Jesus is not necessarily standing up for your rights and asserting your rights. It's laying down your life in love, setting aside your preferences, sometimes choosing to set aside your rights in order to honor or prefer someone else. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. All throughout this, this he's talking about our attitude. Our attitude, which is based on the idea that we can rejoice because we have confidence, because we belong to Jesus, because he's in control, that all will be well. That our peace is not based on our circumstances, on our feelings, or on our being able to figure things out. Our peace is based on the fact that God is in control. And therefore, we have that kind of joyful attitude, considerate. We have the this, this space to be able to consider what others want. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about our attitudes. And we need to be careful of our attitudes because they are contagious. So let's be sure that our attitudes are worth catching. We've been dealing with a disease that is evidently very contagious. You know what else is contagious and sometimes just as damaging some is our attitude. And so we need to watch our attitudes and be, make sure that we recognize that wherever we go, our attitudes are contagious and make sure that we have an attitude that is worth catching. When joy was a theme that the Lord kept bringing up in my life. I ran across this quote by Charles Spurgeon, who is a 19th century preacher in the UK. Cheerful holiness is the most forcible of sermons. Cheerful holiness is the most forcible of sermons. The way we conduct ourselves, the attitude that we express in person, online, in every place that we encounter someone, our attitudes, are speaking and preaching the gospel? Are we giving an accurate representation of the gospel? Let me give you an extended quote from his devotional, Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon's devotional, Morning and Evening. And this is something that I again ran across in that time when joy was a theme. Uh, he's talking about Abraham's wife, Sarah, when she became pregnant, miraculously late in life. He says, it was far above the power of nature and even contrary to its laws that the aged Sarah should be honored with a son. And even so, it is beyond all ordinary rules that I, a poor, helpless, undone sinner, should find grace to bear about in my soul the indwelling spirit of the Lord Jesus. He's using a, a language that is a little bit foreign to our, our ears, but what he's saying is that we be, uh, have this miraculous joy 
She was able to bear a child. We bear the indwelling spirit of God. I, who once despaired, as well I might, for my nature was a dry and withered and barren and accursed as a howling wilderness. Even I have been made to bring forth fruit unto holiness. Well may my mouth be filled with joyous laughter because of the singular, surprising grace which I have received of the Lord. For I have found Jesus, the promised seed, and he is mine forever. He's saying she was filled with joy because she was with child. But we, because we know Jesus, because we have Jesus in our lives, should be overflowing with joy as well. I would have all those that hear of my great deliverance from hell and my most blessed visitation from on high laugh for joy with me. I would surprise my family with my abundant peace. I would delight my friends with my ever-increasing happiness. I would edify the church with my grateful confessions and even impress the world with the cheerfulness of my daily conversation. Is that what's happening with us? Are we impressing the world with our cheerfulness in our daily conversations? That's the kind of thing that we want to be catching, that we want to be spreading in this phase of life because cheerfulness, cheerful holiness is the most forcible of sermons. And now we come to the key passage that talks about prayer. And the context and the idea behind this is that we always pray. We always pray. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Another translation says, don't be anxious about anything. And there's so many things in our world right now, so much uncertainty, so much difficulty, so many struggles that it'd be very easy to be anxious about everything. But he says instead, don't worry about anything. Don't keep turning that over in your heart and mind and be focused on those things that you are worried about. Instead, you have to use the principle of displacement and replacement. Instead of just allowing your mind to be filled with those things that make you frustrated, angry, and anxious, instead, you have to start purposefully filling your mind with different things. He says, instead, as a counter, as an alternate strategy, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Well, I don't know how to pray. Well, he's going to tell you. Here's how you do it. You simply tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And in fact, that's our bottom line. It's straight from that passage. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. It's a very simple strategy. Just two words, help and thanks. Help and thanks. Help when those things that you're, you're tempted to be anxious about, the things that you're worried about, the things that frustrate you and make you angry, you bring those before the Lord and you just say, help, help, I need help in this. I need to change the way I I'm going to need this. I need you to help me to avoid this. That simple one word prayer, help 
can always be on your lips and can cover all kinds of needs. Whatever those needs are, whatever those things are that cause you to, again, be anxious, angry, frustrated, concerned, have anxiety, just every time those come up, those are going to be a prompt for you now to simply pray, to say, help, Lord, I need help in this situation. And then, interestingly enough, it says to not stop there, but to go on and to ask, uh, to express your thanks for all he has done. Expressing gratitude has a way of changing your attitude. It just turns it around. When you begin to shift your focus from all of those things that are causing all of those negative emotions and impact in your life, and you instead focus on all the things for which you can be thankful, ways that you can express your gratitude. When you look to the future and you see things that you're concerned about and worried about, and you then leave those in the hands of the Lord and look back on the faithfulness and goodness of God in your life, and you remind yourself and change your focus to be thinking about all those things that have worked out, all the ways that he has provided, all the ways that he has been faithful. You, you change your focus when you change those thoughts. And that's why that thanks part of the formula is so important. And when you do that, when you unload all of those concerns about the future, unload your anxiety, shift your cares to the shoulders of your heavenly Father, and then remind yourself of all the ways that he has been faithful, all the ways that he's come through, all the things for which you can be thankful, then it says the peace of God, that sense of well-being that is not based on your circumstances, on your feelings, or on your figuring things out, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It doesn't make sense. If people were to look at your life and look at the situation that you're in, look at the things that you're facing in the future, they, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be understandable. But that peace is there nevertheless. It's a supernatural, uh, it's a supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. And it, you will have that a peace that doesn't make sense in your circumstances. And it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What's happening so often is that our minds are unguarded. And so all of these thoughts can just rush in and take over. But when we pray according to this pattern of asking for help, and expressing our thanks, then that has a way of putting a guard around our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And let me focus on that phrase for just a second, in Christ Jesus. This letter that we're looking at was written by a Christian pastor to a church. This assumes that the people that he's writing to, he calls them brothers and sisters. They are in Christ Jesus. And that is not automatic. That means at some point they heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is that good news? The good news that he is fully God and fully man. 
he lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and died a death that he did not deserve in order to purchase, in order to secure for us a forgiveness and life that we could not earn. So all of these people who are included in Christ Jesus have at one time said yes to Jesus. Yes, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you. That was the key invitation that Jesus extended to people was to follow me. And what does that mean? That means that we are going to follow him. We're going to follow his lead. He is going to be the Lord and master and leader in our life. And we want his sacrifice on the cross to count for us. That's what we're saying when we say yes to Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you. Perhaps you are overcome with anxiety. You are frustrated and angry. And no matter how hard you work at it, it seems like you can't shake that bitterness and anger that dominates your life. What you need is the power of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross. He wants to come in and forgive you of all of your sins, wipe away the guilt of your past, give you power for a new way of living and a, write a new end to your story. So I will encourage you to say yes to Jesus. None of this will work in your own power and your own strength. But when we humbly come to the Lord and ask for his help, he will give us a lot of things to be thankful for. So I encourage you to say yes to Jesus. If you're watching on our church online platform, you'll see a little pop-up that says, raise your hand. What you're doing is the electronic equivalent of saying, yes, count me in. And when you do that, then also please, Click through the next one that says connect with us because we want to celebrate with you and we want to resource you in your new life with Jesus. But before we go any farther, before you go any farther, make sure that you have said yes to Jesus. In this last segment of this passage that we're looking at, he reinforces basically what he's already been saying about our gratitude and expressing our thanks. And he gives us a little bit of direction and a little bit of help in figuring out how to direct and fix our thoughts. And here's the way that I would put it is he wants us to steer our thoughts. The Apostle Paul, as a pastor, is speaking to his church and saying, look, rather than being unguarded, rather than just letting everything flow in, let's steer or focus our thoughts in a particular direction. Here's how he puts it, beginning at verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Sounds just like my Facebook feed. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. You see, we have an opportunity to fix, to direct our attention. And he says, this, these are the kinds of things that you need to direct your attention 
to. And this implies agency, that we aren't just going to let everything into our life, but we are going to pick and choose, we're going to be selective, we're going to focus or fix our thoughts. He reinforces it in the rest of the verse, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What in our lives are excellent and praiseworthy? Think on those things. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. And so if we are going to be good at being thankful and expressing gratitude, we have to express a little bit of agency in the things that we allow into our hearts and minds and the things that we focus on. So that's the encouragement that he gives. And then to sum it up, he uses himself as an example. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Put it into practice. He's saying, look, this is the way discipleship works. I'm your pastor, and you saw the way that I live. And just duplicate that. So when we think about that, this is humbling for me, and it should be challenging, I think, for all of us, that this is how discipleship works. It's more caught than taught. And so our example, the way that we manage things, the way that we navigate through these challenging circumstances are going to teach people this is what it means to follow Jesus. So just like our attitudes are contagious, let's make sure that our example is worth following as well. And then he wraps it up with this, and the God of peace will be with you. If you will do these things, if you will rejoice, if you will just do everything that you need to focus your heart and mind on the things that will remind you that God is in control, that he's got this, that he's working all things for our good, that when anxieties and, and anxious thoughts rise up, that we just say, help, and we turn those over to the Lord, when we remind ourselves of his faithfulness and goodness to us in the past, and then we are full of examples that are worth duplicating, then we're going to see this uh, a flood of peace, a sense of well-being, a restoration of relationships, a focus on the mission, because all of that is representative of the God who is with us. God who is with us. So, the bottom line, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. So I will challenge you, as I said earlier, as things come up in this coming week, things that make you anxious or even the things that make you thankful, those things, when those come up, when they come to mind, those are going to serve as prompts to pray in your life, in your daily life, day in and day out this week. So when you notice those things, that's going to immediately prompt you, okay, it's time to pray. You don't have to bow down. You don't have to close your eyes. If you're driving, I would suggest you not. Just pray wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. Sometimes you'll be able to pray out loud. Sometimes you'll be able to pray with others that will be an encouragement to them. It doesn't have to last five minutes. It doesn't even have to last five seconds. But every time you get that prompt, something to worry about 
or something to be thankful for, that's going to be your prompt to pray. And you're going to pray help and thanks prayers this week. That's my challenge to us as a church. And when we do, what does it say? Don't be anxious about anything, but by everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want us to be characterized by a supernatural doesn't make sense, can't trace it back to our circumstances kind of peace. And when we do, we will experience that and that peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This week, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that whatever we face this week, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us, that we can present our requests to you, that you are ready and willing to help us when we ask for help. And Lord, I thank you that just about all of us, if we think hard enough, if we look at it, if we're just aware, there are things that we can look at and that we can express our gratitude to you, that you do, you, you are faithful over and over again. You are faithful and good. And so help us to notice that. And I pray for all of us that as these things come up this week, that they will be noticed and, and uh, recognized as prompts to pray and that you would help us to just follow through with that. And I pray, Lord, that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. And as a result of this, we will be on mission. We will be considerate. We will be winsome and attractive. And that many more people will say yes to Jesus. Many people more and more often saying yes to Jesus because of the work that you are doing in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.